You are surrounded by stories this morning. Did you know that? You're sitting around people who've uh, experienced a lot of things in life. And it's always amazing to me to be able to sit and talk with people and, and hear just the different things that are going on in their lives. I mean, I've said it before, I say it all the time, that I always understand that whenever you're coming together with a group of people, you have some of them who are experiencing life in a way right now where they feel just wonderful about the things that are going on, and you have people who are gathered together who are maybe walking through a valley or a difficult time of life. But what we want to do is we continue our series called Stories. Uh, we're at the place in the book of Acts where the, we, we'd seen a lot of things happening for the church as a whole. And you see the church go from 120 people to 3,000 and then another 5,000 were added. And we get told multiple times in the book of Acts how people were being added to that number daily. And it's kind of like this look from a distance, if you will, of a large group of people, right? And you look at it as a whole and you think, wow, there's some incredible things going on. But then if you maybe look at it from the other side and the other angle, you begin to hear the stories, if you will, of the individuals, and you begin to see how this great movement of God in the church as a whole and what's going on in history at that point in time and these different things, how it's affecting the individuals. And honestly, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because it's one thing for us to be able to come and worship together and, and feel you know, like we're connected into a large group, but the truth is when we all get done with worship today and we walk out these doors and we continue to live our life, not in a selfish way, what, mattered is, what matters is how am I going to live this out every day? What does this mean for me as an individual? What am I called to do? How, does, how do I make something of this and follow what God is leading me to do? Or maybe uh, the, the challenge for us today is to find your place in the grand story, if you will, right? Because we understand that there's a bigger story that's going on and when you want to find your place in the grand story then you need to understand that God's got a big thing happening and going on and that you are a part of it. And if you look at it just as the big picture, sometimes you miss out. And honestly, right, if you look at it just as yourself, sometimes you miss out as well. So that's your first blank there. Find your place in the grand story. But Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. And let me kind of catch us up to where we are. We've, in the first part of Acts chapter 6, the church had selected some deacons and they had set them aside to do the work that needed to happen in a church that was growing. And, and the church was growing and they weren't able to take care of all the needs in the way that were, that were pleasing to people or that were taking care of people. So they set some men aside. And one of these men that they set aside was a man named Stephen. And Stephen not only was doing the work of a deacon, but he was out being a light in the community, and he was preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, and as he was doing this, he ran into some opposition, and we looked at that a little bit last week, and then we pick up Acts chapter 7 today, and, and I just want to tell you this. this, this particular message today is more like a narrative, so there's not necessarily a lot of blanks to fill in, and you know, there's not three points in a poem or anything like that that's going on today. We're, we're, we're kind of telling a bigger, grander story here of what's going on with Stephen. So you can make up your own notes today as we kind of tell the story of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, it's not going to be on the screen uh, for you this morning because we're really working through the whole chapter. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to flip open to there 
or if you want to access it on your iPad or Android device or whatever you want to do, if you want to come to Acts chapter 7, we're going to be looking at different parts of this this morning. But this message also, Acts chapter 7, it's kind of like a diamond, if you will. It's every angle you look at it, it, it sparkles a little bit different, and there's so much more to it than what we're going to cover in just a few minutes this morning. And so I want to make sure that you understand this. It's a great, great summary, if you will, from one angle of what's going on in the nation and the people of Israel. It's a wonderful place for you to go and read through a few times and maybe flip back and forth to some uh, earlier parts of the Old Testament to see, wow, this is, Stephen had an understanding of the history of his people. He was able to remember the things that were happening before that got him to the place he was today. And isn't that kind of neat how it kind of falls on this weekend to where we're remembering the things that have gone before as well that have got us to this place today and gives us the opportunity to move forward as well. So Stephen had been brought in in front of the Sanhedrin and he had been falsely accused of speaking some things about the temple and about the law and about Israel at the time and so he was really on trial in front of the Sanhedrin and we kind of left you at a cliffhanger last week where he's standing there and that he's, he's, he's being asked if these things were, were going on. Acts chapter 7 begins with the high priest asking Stephen, are these things true? And then Stephen goes into this historical lesson for the people of Israel. He says, brothers and fathers, listen, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Now, one of the things that you're going to see as a pattern of what's going on in Stephen's message as he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin is he's trying to show the pattern of the work of God is continually trying to draw his people forward and move them forward. And there's this struggle that continues to happen in the nation and the people of Israel to kind of settle, if you will, kind of stop. And so we begin with Abraham being drawn forward and called out to go and to start this nation. Then he he picks it up in verse 6 and he says, God spoke in this way, his descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God says, and after this they will come out and worship me in this place. So he's remembering that when all this happened and then they were enslaved in Egypt. He goes on in verse 9, and he says, this is what happened in Egypt. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him, and rescued him out of all of his troubles, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and his whole household. So he moves from Abraham all the way up to Joseph, and the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers into Egypt, but God using that to ultimately put them in a place of protection for a season, but then ultimately led from that to slavery in Egypt. And so again, Stephen is painting this great picture. So now we have them in slavery. We pick it up in verse 17 and we get Moses coming on the scene. He says, as the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. So he recalls some of the horrific things that happened at that point in time, some of the oppression and some of the persecution that they received 
as a nation, but then he tells the story of how Moses was raised up in the midst of that to be the leader who would take them out. It says in verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, take off the sandals from your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. And so this is the story of the burning bush when God called Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt. And again, these are summaries. Stephen's given summaries because there's so much more to these messages as we flip back and see them in the Old Testament as well. And then he kind of changes tones a little bit. Uh, In verse 37, he says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. He's the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So Stephen's telling the story as how as God was delivering the people from Egypt, and even though what they were going through as the Red Sea parted and as they were going out and they were having difficulties, they got to the point they said, we would rather just go back to Egypt and live as slaves than deal with this that's going on here. I mean, it's a sad, sad part that's happening in this story. And talks about how they came to Aaron and asked Aaron to make gods that would go before them. And these was the words, as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. And this is referring to a time when Moses had gone to be with the Lord, not, not dying, but he had gone physically to be with the Lord and to hear from God as he was leading the people of Egypt. And he had stayed gone so long that the people were like, we, we don't even know what's happened, so let's just make some other God and follow him. And so says that they even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven, as written in the book of the prophets, house of Israel. Did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch, the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, so I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And then he's talking about a whole other part of Israel's history, where you just see this continual picture of God desiring to lead his people and the people struggling to follow. And then he says these words in verse 44. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness. This means that Moses was instructed to build a tabernacle where the manifestation of the presence of God rested. And so this is a very special thing to the people of Israel is that God's presence was with them in this way. He goes on to say, our ancestors in turn received it and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that drove out that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling pa- dwelling place for God of Jacob. It was Solomon rather who built him a house. But verse 48, the most high does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? So let me just kind of give you the big picture here. Stephen's trying to paint a continual picture of the presence of God being with the people of God. 
and the people of God always come into a place where they, they were at a crossroads, if you will, and struggled with either moving forward or settling with what they saw at that point in time. And here is where we are again in the book of Acts. Because what Stephen is saying is that everything that you have seen that is in the past, everything that has been done, this temple that's been created, the law that's been put in place, everything that God has done for you in history as a nation has been pointing to a Messiah. And the Messiah has now come, but you don't recognize it because you're trying to protect these things. And then he changes his tone in his message in verse 51. He's looking at the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders at the time, and he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and you have not kept it. Stephen is saying, God has done so much for you to try to put you in this place where you can receive the Messiah, and now you've just killed him as well. And so then the story in chapter 7 ends like this. It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, whose story we will come to this summer. While they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. And so this was Stephen's story. It's a tragic story for us. But as we will begin to look ahead, it was actually at this point in time then with the martyring of Stephen that the church was then scattered. The, the story changes from this growing group of people who's, who's constantly growing and, and things are building in Jerusalem to now this happens and the church gets scattered. And that's where we begin to pick up the stories of individuals is as God scatters the church through this incident, what the stories continue to do is they're spread all across the world at that point in time. And so as tragic as this is, we want to look a little bit into Stephen's story. And it's like I said earlier, and I, I don't want to uh, in any way belittle this story of Stephen because I feel like today we could spend a whole lot of time just on this story. We're trying to pick up the stories of individuals, so please let me encourage you. Go back and read Acts chapter 7. Read it a few times. Catch what Stephen is trying to say and what's going on. The big picture of what Stephen is trying to convey to the religious leaders at the time is, is really this, I can learn from my past. Guys, let's learn from our past, okay? Let's look at this history of what God has been doing in our nation. He continually has had his presence with us long before there was ever a temple, long before there was ever a tabernacle, long before there was ever a law, God was with us. And he's been giving us these things and guiding us to try to point to a Messiah but now we've become so focused on the things that God has done or is leading us to that we're missing out on the relationship and the person 
himself. Stephen was urging the leaders not to make the same mistakes that their ancestors did, which would lead them to the same results that their ancestors got. God was trying to move them forward, continually trying to fulfill his will and his law through them. And Stephen stood in front of the leaders and ultimately gave his life to convey this message that God is at work and we need to get moving with him. But they resisted it to the point of killing Stephen. You know, that honestly, it it doesn't happen necessarily as graphic as that today. But I know that there are many, many people in our culture especially, and maybe even sitting right here this morning, and we'll just say it this way, they have trouble putting the pieces together. They have trouble standing back and looking at the big picture and seeing where they fit in and how it is that God's exactly working and what God is calling me to. Some people just just absolutely can't fit these pieces of what God's word is saying and how am I supposed to live this out or what does it mean to me to be a light? What does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ? And, and how does this fit together today in what's going on in my life? And and there's, there's this disconnect. And I'm going to give you a, an example of it. And please hear me on this. I am not in all, at all, placing judgment on anything that I've said or heard. I'm just observing some things. And so a while back, I was, I was out on the golf course. And I always get, you know, paired up sometimes with people, different places, different times. And there was this... There was this gentleman that I was with, and I noticed early on he had, he had a bracelet on. And the bracelet is a bracelet that I was highly aware of what it meant. But, you know, it has an arrow pointing down, and it has a cross, and it has a tomb on it, and it has an arrow pointing up and an arrow pointing down. And it tells the story of Jesus through the bracelet. You're supposed to walk people through, here's the story of Jesus Christ through this bracelet. And so as I'm with this person on the golf course for a while and observing their actions listening to their language, seeing the things that are going on at the time I'm going, there's a disconnect here between what I'm seeing on their wrist and what I'm seeing from their actions. And so, hear me on this, incredibly nice person. This was not an angry person. They were just nice, but it was blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that. In casual, not angry, but just this and that and stories of things that he had done um, We'll just leave it at that with this audience. And you're hearing these things as you're going along. And so finally I just felt like, okay, how can I be a light in this situation? Because you don't just want to come across and go, hey. So I just did this. I said, hey, tell me about that bracelet. And I mean, it just like a switch flipped. Oh, man, this is the story. And he tells the story like nobody's business. And this, and this means that Jesus came down and he died for our sins. And, it, and I'm just sitting there going, Whoa. I mean, just he could recite it, he could tell it, and he was so excited to share it. But there was just this huge disconnect for me as I'm just sitting here looking and going, well, then what? How can you believe all this and then continue to tell these other things? And that's honestly what I think I see more and more in our culture today is that there's this, and hear me on this, there's this love and respect for God that that people have, but there's a disconnect on where it fits in my life and how it's supposed to work. And what they see is that, well, I'm supposed to add God to my life. And so they continue to live their life 
and then they have God and they go, well, I'm going to make God a, a part of my life. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. God has a grand story that is going on, and we are invited to be part of God's grand story. And our choice is we either live our life for ourselves or we live our life for the Lord. And when we choose to say, I want to live my life for the Lord, then we remove ourselves from our own lifestyle, our own preferences, and our own ways, and we put ourselves in the grand story of God, and we become a part of his story, not him becoming a part of our story. And this is a little bit of what Stephen is saying. He's going, you have, you have fallen in love with the temple and the law and the stuff where, where we're trying to protect these things over here and God's working in a totally different way and inviting you to follow the Messiah, which you're trying to purport is coming, but he's already come, so we need to get on board with what he's doing. You're trying to get everybody on board with things that have already happened. You see, there's this incredible disconnect. Now, here's, here's the deal. When we choose to move away from our life and put ourselves in the grand story of God, it is then and only then that we experience life at the fullness that God intended it to be. I believe that the reason that most people don't fully take themselves out of their life and put themselves into God's life is because there are things that we're holding on to in our past that we go, I just can't let go of this. And we hold on to it. We see this happening right here. So much so that when Stephen spoke again, they didn't like what they, they heard. So much so to the point that they just killed Stephen. But you know what? We kind of do that in our own lives as well. That we don't necessarily want to hear how we're supposed to live this out sometimes in certain areas, so much so that we just kind of kill it and move it to the side. And go, God, I'm going to follow you in all of these ways. You, you do understand, right, that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders at the time, loved God. We're not talking about hateful people. We're talking about people who just were missing it. They were just off. And so I'm not talking about there's these hateful and mean people and there's these glory. I'm talking about there's a lot of people who are walking around very disconnected and very confused. Who see a relationship with God as, oh, well, if I add that to my life and I have a little bit of this in my life. And if I take my 401K and add that in. And if I do this and add this in, then everything's going to be great if I can get this all balanced. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You throw all that away and you follow me. And then I take care of everything else, and then you experience life like never before. And the reason that most people don't experience life that way is because there's something, if not lots of somethings, that they're holding on to to say, I can't let go of these things to fully put myself in a place where I can follow God. And we'll defend it with everything that we have, though we don't realize it. And our culture plays into this by subtly putting out there that there's these things like, well, there's, these, there's the real things that are going on, the things you can touch, fee, and seal, touch, see, and feel. I don't know what I just said, but we'll all look at that on video later. <laughs> touch, see, and feel. And then there's, well, you know, there's the spiritual life as well, and that's just personal, right? That's just each person just kind of has their own way that they figure that out. And you got to flip that around. God is everything. And, and he, he controls everything. He is everything. And we give our everything to him, and then life becomes exactly what it should be. Now, why do we 
not easily follow that. You know what I think happened right here? And lots of things happened. But one thing that happened, fear. <laughs> I, I, mm, that's, the Sanhedrin's looking, and I guarantee they probably didn't articulate it like this. But it was, well, that changes everything. And I don't know how to live if everything changes. And that scares me to death. You mean I actually have to trust God and not just say I trust him? No, I'm not going to do that. You see, when, when we actually come to that point in our faith where we say, where God's calling us to live in relationships like he's called us to live in relationships, it's like, oh, God, if I put my heart out there again, it's going to get stepped on again. And here's what I'm going to tell you. It might, but God will walk through that with you. And life will be worth it. It'll be full. Oh, God, if I, if I take that risk, you know, I, I don't know that I can do that, you know, because my faith is in my finances, and I can't risk my finances. Because then if I, mm, well, you're either going to follow him or you're not. Oh, God, I can't say that to that person. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, mm, no, you can do this if, if we'll follow God. And so there was just a basic level of misunderstanding that's happening here. Good people, good People. I'm not talking about bad and evil people today. I'm talking about good people who truly love God, but they've not figured out yet that God's way of doing things is best. And Stephen's trying to paint this grand picture of going, don't make the mistakes that they made and 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 miss what God wants you to do. Let's have faith and follow God and put ourselves into it. But yet they came and they stuck to what they had always done so much so to the point that they defended it violently. They just said, no, we're staying right here. And sometimes people get stuck in a pattern of living. And like I said, they, they like the way that they're living and they just want to add God to it. And they get, they get to where they add God to a lifestyle. And in doing so, they miss out on experiencing the fullness of God in a real in a tangible way. They miss out on living life in the way that God created us and that he wants us to experience in all his fullness. I say it a lot because it's biblical and it's true, but John 10, 10, Jesus says very plainly, I have come so that they can have life and have it to the full. When we give our all to Jesus, we will experience the greatest life ever. What does that look like? You know, the other thing, that keeps us from doing that is we have a misguided idea of what a full life looks like. We have an American dream version of what a full life looks like. Or we have a comfort version of what a full life looks like. We don't have a godly version of what a full life looks like. And when you read this story and you look at the end, and we can sit back and we can look at the tragedy that happened to Stephen. But when I even see the way that he died, I go, that man lived a full life. Right? I mean, don't you see that? And I know one of the things that scares me is probably one of the things that, oh, God, you want me to put myself out there in a place that risk is my, that risk is, good night, I am off today, aren't I? Y'all can write that down in your notes. Risks my life. Or... You know, God, I don't know that I want to say these things that might offend people. I don't know that I want to do these things. I just want to kind of live here. Stephen was willing to follow God no matter the consequences. And honestly, when I look at this, I see a tragedy. And I promise you, if we asked Stephen, would you have liked this to happen, he would have said no. But I don't see in here anything that gives any evidence that God wasn't working through this, God wasn't using this, and that Stephen didn't get a full life. As a matter of fact, 
he's one of the people in Scripture that gets to say, look, as I stood up and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I see God confirming the fact that I'm living for him and he's honoring me in that. And the other thing about this is that means that we have to understand that the life that God has called us to, it doesn't end with death here, right? Is that God has called us to an eternal life. And when we limit our view of the life that God has called us to, to the however many years God gives us here on this planet, if we choose to live for that, what a waste for what God might call us to do for all eternity as well. So we have to learn how to balance these things and trust that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he can do. And when we stop and we look at our life, honestly, I think as, as Stephen has done here, there's one way that he's saying, look at all this that's happened, but there's another thing that he's saying in this is look how God was working. And I think when we stop and we look back on our life, we, no matter what you're going through right now, I bet you can say this, I can see God at work, right? Those times that you just pause for a moment and you look back and you think, oh, this is how this fit together. And I know for me, and it might not be true for you yet with some things right now, but I know for me some of the greatest and, and most incredible experiences of my life now have perspective from a distance, right? And you can see, oh, that's why God allowed me to do that. That's why God let that happen. And man, I'm so appreciative and I'm so thankful for that. And at the same time, I can look back on things that I've walked through in life that I wouldn't wish on anyone else and I wouldn't want to go through again. But I can stand at this point in life and look back and go, oh, that's how God's working in that situation. That how, that's how God can make that right. That's how God can walk with me through that. And this is, again, what Stephen was trying to say through this whole big grand story. He's trying to paint a picture. He's trying to speak to the Sanhedrin in a way that they might possibly understand to say, look how God has been at work in his people from the beginning all the way up to now, and let's put our faith and follow him. You see, God's presence is with his people. That's what Stephen was trying to tell the leaders. God's presence is with his people. God's presence predates the law, the land, and the temple. God was at work long before we had the law, long before we had the land, long before we had the temple. God was at work, and God will continue to be at work no matter what. And what was happening here is Israel often confused God's actual presence for buildings or places or law. That's what, that's what the struggle was. And so for us, it can sometimes be said this way. God's presence predates your life, right? God's presence predates your life. You're not here by accident. You're not walking through things by accident. You're not dealing with the issues of life on accident. God's presence predates your life. There's nothing in your life. Listen to me on this. There's nothing in your life that can keep God from working in and through your life except you. You're the only thing that can stand in the way of God actually using you and, and doing things in your life. Because you can just say, nope, we're just going to stone that to death. We're going to set that aside. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to hold on to this right here. This is good enough. This is where we are. We're going to protect this. God wants to work in and through you to accomplish his will. And as you follow his will, life becomes it's best, not just for you, but for all those around you. That's how God begins to work through you. When you take everything that you have and you put it into his grand story, not the other way around. Not trying to find where God fits in your life, but trying to find where you fit 
in his grand story. So do this. Don't confuse activity for a relationship, right? God's not just about all the stuff you can do because God can do. God's about a relationship, about inviting you to be part of his grand story. God's called you to follow him, and as you follow him, you will experience life. He's putting together this grand story that he invites you to find your place in. You're invited today to follow God and experience life. So I just want to ask you this. What's the struggles that you have? Because we all have them that are keeping you from fully experiencing that. Would you be willing to give that to God today? Would you be willing to at least acknowledge that it's there? Maybe it's just a flat-out disbelief and unbelief. Maybe you're sitting there going, I'm not convinced that God's real. I'm not convinced that there's really a God or that Jesus is who he says he is. Let's just, you know what, God's big enough to handle that. Just put it out there. Maybe, maybe you are a follower of Christ. Maybe you've given in your life and you feel that God is, is calling you to take some steps Maybe in relationships, maybe in finances, maybe at work, maybe in sharing your faith, maybe in whatever area of life it is, would you be willing to put that out there and say, okay, God, help me deal with this. I'm going to call this out. This is where I'm struggling to move on next. You're invited to follow God and experience life today. The last blank that you have this is is this reminder that I want to share with you today. God's with you wherever you are. God's with you wherever you are. That's, again, one of the facets of this diamond of the story that we can see with Stephen is that the big picture that he painted was, look, guys, God's bigger than all this stuff that we've put together, and he's going to be with us and guide us if we'll let him. And the same is true for you in your life if you'll let him. 